Sunday Christian greetings this evening in Jesus' name. Trust you've had another good day today. Even though the weather was a bit different than what it was yesterday. It was still a good day, I trust, for all of us. Appreciated those thoughts that were shared with us this evening. And as he was uh, reminding us of the exchange that took place, and reading out of Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Sometimes we'd like to stop there. We'd like to know him and the power of the resurrection. But then he continues and he says, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. I kind of cringe at that. I don't like to suffer. I don't like to, I don't like myself. My carnal nature doesn't like the idea of the cross. The cross. The cross spells death. Anyone in the Roman ear that was condemned to the, to the cross knew that there was only one thing awaiting him. That was an excruciating, painful death that was slow, filled with agony. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. I find it comforting, though, that as I experience death, as I experience the fellowship of the suffering, I can also experience the power of the resurrection. Yes. And I look forward to the real resurrection of the end time, when we will be delivered from this body of clay. Thank you for those thoughts. I think we'll sing the song, I Love You, Lord Jesus, tonight. This is one of those songs that... uh, causes chills to go up and down my back. When I meditate on what the song is saying and the commitment that comes from my lips and our lips when we sing this song. I would just like to point out where he says in the chorus there, I love you, Lord Jesus. I love you today. I love you in spirit and mind. 
And then he says, and then we say, my body is yours for anything, Lord. I'm satisfied now in your love. Am I willing? Am I really willing to really make that kind of a commitment? I trust we are. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18 this evening. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18, starting to read in verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. And he, let, and he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servants fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I, forget, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. This passage of Scripture is a sobering passage to me. As we recall, in Matthew chapter 6, in the Lord's Prayer, it's a prayer that many of us have learned when we were small children. And we could say that prayer by memory, where he says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive us as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen we recite that prayer and it just kind of rolls off our tongue and rolls off the top of our head but we notice as we meditate on that one of the things that we're saying there god I want you to forgive me as I forgive others. Really? Really? Is that really how I want God to forgive me? In Luke, he states it this way. Luke chapter 11, it's, it's an abbreviated form of, or basically the same prayer. First part of verse 4, he says, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Now I'd like to take you again, coming back here to Matthew chapter 18. Peter had this question. And he asked, he says, How often should I forgive my brother? Till seven times? You know, that uh, seems like, you know, the number seven is the perfect number. Surely seven is enough. Jesus says, no, no, not until seven times. Not just seven times. But seven times 70. Okay, 490 times. So now we've got a limit, right? You trespass me 491 times, the, the 91st time, 491st time, I don't have to forgive you anymore, right? Is that what he's saying? No, as we look at this portion and seek to understand, I think he was simply saying that we extend forgiveness as we want God to forgive us. And I don't want God to, to just forgive me 490 times. Not that I intentionally seek to transgress and walk away from him and do things that would be displeasing to him that I would have to ask him for forgiveness. But recognizing my human weaknesses and so forth, I don't want that forgiveness to have a limit. And so that's why I think Jesus is bringing in this teaching Further on where he says that the kingdom of heaven is like unto a king which took account of his servants and he called his servants together and as he reckoned there was one brought to him that owned him 10,000 talents. Now we're not told was this talents of silver or was this talents of gold. And I don't know that that makes that much difference. Because the real lesson that he's bringing in is the 10,000 talents versus the 100 pence is a tremendous difference. But in order for us to maybe wrap our mind around it just a little bit better, the one Bible that uh, I use to study is called the Open Bible. It's the King James, but it's the Open Bible. And, and for that, it gave me a figure of what, how much money that would be, I'm not exactly sure when that was penned, if this was 10,000 talents of silver. That figure was uh, 
if I, yeah, here it is, was three billion dollars, eight hundred and forty million. Three billion eight hundred and forty million dollars. The king told this servant, "Okay, I want I want you to pay me that." His servant says, "I can't. I can't at this time." Okay. Then I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell everything you have. In fact, I'm going to sell your wife and your children into slavery so that that debt will be paid. As fathers, how would you feel? This servant fell down and he says, please, please have patience with me. And I'll pay you, I'll pay you everything. But I, I just need some time. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around how this servant was going to pay three billion dollars. He must have had a lot more going than what I ever did. But he, somehow he felt like with time, somehow, I don't know how, he felt with time he could pay this says the king had compassion on him. And I can just kind of imagine this servant laying there and imploring this king, tears streaming down his eye, down his face, realizing that his future is in the king's hand here. He's going, it's very possible that he'll rip my family apart. He's going to sell my wife. He's going to sell my children. He has every right to, because I owe him that. Then maybe he felt the hand of the king on his shoulder, and he looks up, and the king says, I forgive you that debt. I forgive you that debt. Can you imagine the feeling of that swept over that servant as he experienced what he just heard? You, you what? Yes. I forgive you that debt. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, my wife, my children won't be sold after all. Thank you. He gets up and he leaves. And as he's going out, he meets went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred pence, $3,200. And it says that he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Mm, Pay me. You're going to pay me. Ah, please. Please have patience with me. I'll pay thee all. 
It says he didn't. He wouldn't have it. He wouldn't. No, I won't stand for it. I need. I want it now. I can't. You're going to prison. What was he thinking? How was he going to pay him if he puts him in prison? But that's what he did. He cast him into prison until his debt was paid. His fellow servants observed it all. I wonder if some of them weren't shaking their heads. What? What? Don't you? What are you thinking? What's with you? What has consumed you? That you would treat your fellow servant who owes you $3,200 and yet you were forgiven a debt of $3 billion. Why did you do that? They went back to the king and they said, this is what he done. And I wonder what the thoughts were of that servant when he got the summons from the king to come back. He called him and said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave, I had, I, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Though this first servant cast his fellow servant into prison, the first servant was now cast into prison to the tormentors. I think as I view this, there is a deep lesson in it for us. It's a story that as we meditate on it and we try to think about it in the natural realm, it's, it's hard to grasp. But you know how many times in the spiritual realm do we do likewise? That's the lesson I get out of this, this, uh, this story here. It's how that, it's in the, it's in the context of as we forgive others, that's how God will forgive us. By the grace of God, we had pointed out last night of the great debt, the great sin, the, the unworthiness how we were in the sight of God and how that God forgave us that. He loved us. He sent His Son. He made provisions that we could be given that heart of flesh. We could be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We were forgiven that great debt. And so many times we, we appreciate, we enjoy that forgiveness that we have experienced from God. 
But as we walk in our relationship with God, and as we go from day to day, it tends to become normal. It, we tend to lose the sacredness and the blessedness of what Christ has done for us. And if we're not careful, we sometimes feel like God owes us that. That after all, it's, it's really the forgiveness of sin and being a child of God is my right. It is my right in the sense of when I come to the foot of the cross, uh, he extends that to me. But it's never really a right to be claimed as a selfish right. It's a right that is granted to us through adoption. And so as we become used to this thing, now as we go from day to day and we relate with people, suddenly... There's things that happen in our life that doesn't seem to be fair. There's things that have happened in my life, and I believe there's probably things that happened in your life that just don't seem a brother or a sister made some kind of remark about you and it hurts deeply it's not right it's not true it's not the way it ought to be that's not right I didn't do that Or maybe there's something, maybe you're taking advantage of or something. I mean, there's lots of things that could enter in here. Why, that brother, we were driving, I was driving down the road and we passed each other. And when I got close to him, he looked the other way. He didn't even look, he didn't look at me, he didn't wave at me. He, he got something against me. He's got a grudge against me. I know he does. Why, just the other day at church when I tried to meet him, he just ignored me and walked right past me. Oh. I know, I know there's something going on. I know there's something wrong. I know there is. Huh. You think I'm going to help him? You, you, you think I'm going to forgive him? What? Look Look what he's done. He's going to have to come back and he's going to have to say he's sorry before I can shake his hand again. I ask the question, is forgiveness easy? No. Maybe I should ask the question first, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is to free fully. If I forgive someone, I free them fully. I turn them loose. 
I released them. I set them at liberty. I believe that there's many things that happen in our life that could cause us to struggle with forgiveness. I know there's been many things in my life that I have struggled with extending forgiveness. You're looking at a man who has struggled with this very subject. Yes, I have. I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of some of the some of the resentment and some of the attitudes that I carried at times. And I know that extending forgiveness and setting that person free doesn't come easy. Because there were hurts, deep things said that go deep into your heart. And to, to turn them free just didn't seem right. Didn't seem fair. Didn't seem like that should be right. the right thing to do. They ought to pay for what they've done. Our carnal nature is you just wait. I'm going to watch you and I'm going to get even with you. Maybe I'm exposing myself tonight. To you, maybe you think you shouldn't have never gotten me here. That's fine. I'm going to expose myself simply because this is something that I've dealt with in my life. And I know the hindrance that it is in a Christian life. There have been times I knew a brother that one Sunday morning I was... I was preparing a mess. I was, I was preparing for a message. I struggled long into the night, Saturday night. And finally it became very clear. You've got to make peace. You've got to make peace. This brother lived in another community. Sunday morning, early, I picked up the phone, I called him, I said, brother, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the attitudes I carried towards you. Please forgive me. There was a bit of silence. And he said, I forgive you. I hung up that phone. Peace rate. That brother and I could meet each other from that point on. And visit and talk. We were friends. Did I completely forget what all happened? No. They say forgive and forget. 
I believe that. I don't even remember what all the issues were anymore, but I tell you, it was a process. Every time when I thought about that, I had to forgive him again and to say, I'm going to set him free. I'm going to set him free. He's free. I was the one who was imposing on him. Now, granted, he recognized that he erred as well. But that's not the basis of where I set him free from. The basis that I set him free from was because of what God did for me. It it became clear to me that the only way that I can grow in my Christian life is if I set him free. That has been a powerful lesson for me in my journey in life in later years. There have been others that I have had to set free. And I believe you can relate with that. You're human. We all have things happening in our life that we have to set people free in order for us to be able to experience growth in our Christian life. If we do not, the scripture is clear. As we forgive our debtors, that's how God's going to extend forgiveness to us. And if we don't forgive our those that trespass against us, we will be in a prison and there, we will be with the tormentors. Those thoughts will torment us. That unforgiveness will not stay small. It will grow and it will become bitterness in our life. And bitterness is an awful thing. Bitterness is something that doesn't stay within the person that is harboring the unforgiveness and bitterness. Without fail, it comes out. Hebrews tells us, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Let's turn to that in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. And he continues on and he gives us the story there of Esau. We go back into the book of Genesis where Esau comes in from the field. He was faint. He was hungry. He had been out there and he was hunting. Didn't have a good day. A successful day of hunting. He comes in famished. And he smells this this pottage that Jacob, his brother, was making. It smelled good. Oh, it smelled good. And he asks Jacob, he says, I'd like to have some of that pottage. Jacob says, Okay, yeah, some of your birthright and I'll give you some. Esau says, What good does the birthright do me? I'm about to die anyhow of hunger. I don't think he was, but that's how he felt at that point. He said, And what good does the birthright do me? Sure, I'll give you the birthright. It wasn't right of Jacob to do that. 
But Jacob did in his conniving at that point. Esau sold him his birthright, gave him his, said, okay, you can have that. You can have that. Just give me this bowl of soup, this pottage. Jacob did. Time passed. I don't really think that Esau thought, thought a whole lot about it until Isaac called him in. He says, I want you to go out there and hunt, get me some venison and fix it. I like the way you fix the venison. You've got, I really like that. And I want you to go out there and get me that, fix it for me, bring it in here, and then I'm going to bless you. I don't know, did Esau think about the fact that he had sold his birthright or not? Rebecca heard it. As soon as Esau had gone out, she called Jacob and says, come here. I want you to go out there and get a kid. And we're going to fix your dad some savory meat. And then I want you to go in there and give it to him. Feed it. You know, take it into him so that he will bless you. Oh, Jacob said, that's not going to work. You know, yeah, he can't see good, but if he feels my arms, ah, he's going to know I'm not Esau. Ah, we'll take care of that. So, Jacob does. You know the story. They took that kid's uh, skin, they put it on Jacob's arms, back here on the back of his neck. He went in and he fed Isaac, his father, gave him the food. Isaac thought, hmm, something a little strange here. It sounds like Jacob. So he said, um, oh, you, you've got something already? Oh, yeah, the Lord was with me and brought, brought it to me. Okay. Well, you come, come here. I want to feel you. So he goes over, as he feels Jacob, even feels him back here. Okay, you you feel like Jake, you feel like Esau, you even smell like an outdoorsman. But you, anyhow, okay. So he ate, and then he blessed Jacob with the blessing of the firstborn. And he scarce had gotten outside when Esau comes in, having prepared this special meal for his father, expecting to get the blessing. And when he comes in there, and he says, Dad, I've got your meal. I've got it all ready. Here it is. Who are you? It says that Isaac trembled. And he says, who are you? Well, I'm Esau. Yeah, but someone has just been in here and given me food, and I've blessed him. Your brother was in here, and I've blessed him, and he's going to be blessed. I can't take that back. 
And it says that I, that Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. And he says, Dad, please, please, can, is there not, can't you give me a blessing? As he said, I've given the blessing to Jacob. I can't give you that firstborn blessing because he's blessed and he's going to be blessed. Please, Dad, please. Can you sense the desperation of Esau? It does say that Esau did bless him. It was a lesser blessing, but he did bless him. But this is the point. Esau from that day marked Jacob. He said in his heart, you just wait. Dad is getting old. Once dad's gone, I'm going to get you. Rebecca heard it. He must have, like we sometimes do, mumble out loud. Maybe he was upset enough that it wasn't all that quiet. I don't know. Rebecca heard it. And so she goes back in and she says, Oh, I'm tired of life and I just, I'm just afraid that Jacob is going to marry one of the daughters of the land. Let's send him over to my kindred so that he would get a wife from my kindred. So they sent Jacob away. That's the last, I believe that's the last that Jacob seen Rebecca. I don't know that he seen his mother alive after that party. I may be mistaken, but I think that's how it was. Now we fast forward a number of years, 20 years or better. Jacob decides he's going to go back. And he starts back. And you recount the call, we recall the account where Jacob came to the brook. And he wrestled with that man all night long. He was afraid of meeting Esau because he heard that Esau is coming with 400 men. I believe Esau was coming to wipe out Jacob. He was going to get rid of him. I'm going to get even with him. Jacob after that night of wrestling was a broken man. He was a different man. And Jacob sent these presents ahead. God worked to work in Esau's life as well. And you notice what happened. I believe Isaac, I mean Jacob, called Israel after that point realized I I did Jacob I mean I did Esau wrong he has a right to feel the way he did and he comes as a broken man not as a conniver not as a schemer but as a conniver he meets and he sends those things out maybe maybe I can make peace with Esau And as they got together, Jacob and Esau,
they came together and embraced. Esau says, what do you mean by all this gift that you're, all this that you sent before? Jacob says, the Lord has blessed me. I have more than enough. Please take it. Esau says, I don't need it. <laughs> what a difference. 400 men. It was obvious that Jacob, I mean, that Esau was planning on getting rid of Esau, of, of Jacob. But as Jacob extended forgiveness to Esau, they were reconciled. And the beautiful thing about it is they were able to bury their father together. Forgiveness, even in the Old Testament, was a marvelous thing. Unforgiveness will destroy my life. It will rob me of my peace. In fact, unforgiveness will make me a very difficult person to live with those that are closest to me, my family. Yes, it will. We may hide it from others, but those closest to us will have to take the brunt of it. And it's not nice. Unforgiveness and bitterness is what happened in the life of Saul. When he heard that he had disobeyed God's command and Samuel told him that the kingdom is rent from you and is given to one that is better than thou. Saul didn't like to hear that. And then when he heard the women, when they came back from battle, saying that Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands, it just, I gotta get rid of him. Saul did not realize that his disobeying God and not repenting of it and his kingdom being given to David that if he would just extend forgiveness, the difference that it could make in his life. He was after David many times, and David could say, it's not fair. It's not my fault, Saul. It's not my fault that you're experiencing what you're experiencing. And yet David fled. He killed Goliath, yes. Then he went back into the, the uh, palace. Saul threw that spear at him. Tried to kill him. David went out. Yet later he was back again in the presence of Saul. Tried to minister to him. Because David realized that Saul was God's anointed. He had a tremendous respect for that. He would not lay his hand upon Saul. <laughs> though he had different times that he could have killed him. He was encouraged to kill him by his cousins that were right there with him. He said, just, if you're not going to do it, let me do it. 
I'll just do it. I'll just take the spear and I'll just do it one time. I won't do it twice. I'll just smite him. I'll just pin him to the ground. And we'll get out of here. In fact, you recall that even David, one night he went down there when Saul was sleeping and he took his spear, took his sword out while Saul was sleeping right in the midst of the camp and the other soldiers around him. They snuck in there. Him and his bodyguard, they got that sword and they got away. His bodyguard says, just just kill him. No, no, I won't do it. He got this sword and he left. The next morning, early in the morning, David calls out and he says, Abner, what you did isn't good. Who are you? Well, there was someone that came into your camp. Where's Saul's sword? Spear, whatever it was that he took. Where is it? Where is it? It's not here. I've got it. You should die, Abner. You should die. Because you were not protecting Saul. That was the man that was after David. Had he forgiven, had David forgiven Saul for what he was doing? Obviously. He had set him free. He respected him. He would not touch the Lord's anointed. What a challenge. Do I recognize the fact, brethren and sisters, that that person that I hold a grudge against or I'm not willing to forgive has a soul that God has died for and is just as precious in the sight of the Lord as my soul is. And therefore I dare not touch it. I dare not hold a grudge against it. You might say, okay, so what you're saying this evening is that if someone wrongs me, I have no recourse. I just have to simply stand back I say I forgive you end of story end of issue that's all there's to it it's all on me let me propose this that's not the end of the story But it's one of the greatest parts of the story. I think there are some steps that can be taken. First of all, before I approach or you approach the person who has wronged you, you need to forgive them. You need to free them. Then, you need to pray to God and ask the Lord to put a love and a concern for that person into your heart. Replace the hurt with love and care. And you ask the Lord to provide an opportunity in his time
to speak with that person. And when God and the Holy Spirit directs you, you meet that person and you converse with them and you tell them that you're sorry for the attitude, for the grudge, or for whatever you've held against them. Would you forgive me? It did hurt me, and I wonder, what did I do that caused you to do this? You're not there to defend yourself. You're there to restore the relationship. Is it easy? No. Is it important? Yes. Yes. It is of utmost importance. If we want to be forgiven of God, we must extend forgiveness. We must. It's the only way that we can truly show forth the character of a child, of a disciple of God. So may God help us as we go through our life that we remember that as I forgive others, that's how God forgives me. And that if there's something that I'm harboring, oh yes, I realize it may not have been fair. It may not have been right. It may have hurt deeply. We need to release it. We need to release it. And ask God to pour in that oil of healing. The oil of his love. He showed us the way. Jesus could have said, it's not fair what's happening to me there in Gethsemane. And there in Pilate's Hall, it's not fair. I didn't do anything. It's not my fault. It's their fault. Why should I die for them? But he did it. We also need to lay our life down for the brethren. When we do that, we find tremendous blessing and a closeness of God. And we build relationships that are God-honoring and God-glorifying as we do that. Easy? I didn't say it's easy. Proper? Right? Yes. It's God's way. May we do it God's way. Yes. Shall we borrow our heads and prayers?